get involved, hold your team accountable, let the leaders learn to lead. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Clark Murphy, the Chief Executive Officer of Management Consultancy, Russell Reynolds. He'll talk about a first-of-its-kind report that his firm just released, one that digs into what leaders need to drive critical sustainability goals in the decades ahead. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. Leaders will be successful in their judged as successful or not about how well they sustainably lead. If it's September at the World Economic Forum, that means it's time for the Sustainability Development Impact Summit, or SDI. This is an annual meeting with one goal, to bring together the world's top leaders to discuss how we can protect the planet and its people. That is admittedly a pretty big remit, and one that spans a range of issues such as the environment, equality, economic prosperity, challenges that are interconnected and taking on a new urgency, especially as experts warn that we are running out of time to sidestep the worst types of calamities that are caused by global warming. Tackling these big, interconnected challenges are going to take a new type of leadership. Russell Reynolds has been focused on this issue and recently undertook a special survey of more than 9,500 respondents across 11 countries. This scope was huge, talking to people from top to bottom, from their CEOs to their execs and their staffers, and it also spanned developing and emerging countries for a first-of-its-kind look at what is going right and what isn't when it comes to making progress against one of the biggest challenges of our lifetimes. Their resulting report, Divides and Dividends, looks into what's needed for the next generation of sustainability leadership. Clark talked to Meet the Leader about the findings, from the things that give him pause to the things that surprised him. He also talked about what gives him hope and how leaders can tap a key resource, their people, one that his report finds are likely already in organizations working on sustainability solutions as we speak. We'll talk about all of this. But first, Clark will kick us off by defining what a sustainable leader is and the traits these special people share. There are basically four things that, that we believe a sustainable leader has to have to make progress. The first is what we call multi-level systems thinking, which is quite simply, they have the capability to take on complexity that the economy, society, and the environment all coincide with their business strategy and operations. So your ability to see that integration of complexity and act against it will designate you well as a sustainable leader. Stakeholder inclusion. Sustainable leaders typically can understand a wide-ranging set of viewpoints, fielding feedback from all these stakeholder groups, but successfully be decisive on it and move forward. So this diversity of thoughts incredibly critical when developing sustainability strategies. So the second would be inclusion and, and listening. It doesn't surprise you the third is innovation, disruptive innovation. This requires exponential change, which is why I think the listening as well as the acting is important. Uh, they have to challenge traditional approaches. That's hard. Sometimes costs a lot of money, put a lot of capital to work, but it's disruptive innovation, particularly around these sustainable issues. And fa finally, it's long-term activation. 
is this takes time. But it's not that it takes time. It takes the commitment through the bull market and the bear market and the bull market and the bear market to set audacious goals and rigorously drive action. So long-term activation is you know, a light little phrase, but we're talking economic cycles and shareholder pressure. So complexity of thinking, inclusion, disruptive innovation, long-term activation. Sure. And in that survey, as you guys were sort of digging through the findings, there's a, a slew of themes that emerged. But uh, for you personally, as, as a CEO, as a leader yourself, what surprised you the most? The most was what I would call the say-do say divide, which is what people are saying and what is actually happening or what they're doing is dramatically different. For example, 45% of C-suite executives say that their organization's sustainable strategy is really around brand management, uh, and they want to be viewed as socially responsible and, and competitively differentiated. But far fewer, just over 20%, are saying they're creating value or driving force or impact reduction, which is about 18%. We're spending the next couple of days talking about change leaders, right? So we're trying to help boards find the change leaders around sustainability, but more of them are reacting too quickly to this brand management and kind of talking the talk and they're not walking the walk. And that, that really spooked me, I've got to say. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And so that said, there were still plenty of highlights uh, from the survey that looked at companies that that were trying to find ways to put checkpoints in place to make sure that maybe a mission statement laddered up to outputs. But can you talk a little bit about sort of the examples of how this can go right, how people can bridge that gap between what they're saying they want to do and what they're actually doing? Yeah, I think you can get pretty excited pretty quickly. Uh, and I'd say, let's look at two different examples. One is the entire private equity industry, which the, the larger firms have said, okay, sustainable operations, more efficient supply chains, more vigorous management around sustainability creates value. We create value. The company that we may invest in will be worth more if it's more sustainable. And almost every major firm, and we've been active with most of them, have chief sustainability officers look working across their portfolios to create value and in its most kind of bald sense. Then we look at big, large public corporations and you say, can they do it too? Yes. So Carlsberg uh, in Denmark, who wants to be the most water efficient brewery, uh, it recycles 90% of the processed water and they've reduced water consumption by 50%. I get really excited about this. I've been over to, to see the brewery. They set up one brewery as a test to reduce water consumption. It takes, sadly, 2.9 liters of water to produce a liter of beer. And this brewery has reduced it in half to 1.4 liters. Um, and that is uh, Chesthard, who's the CEO, has gotten everybody engaged throughout the organization to say, we're going to change the world. And, we're going to, and, and we can produce much more efficiently and better water, less water consumption, the beer we produce. They also intend to eliminate all water waste across all their businesses by 2030. So this is something that, you know, when you go to the, to the pub tonight or to, to have a beer, think about what they're doing to change the world. Another is Natura, uh, which is the Brazilian cosmetics company. And while we think about all the big pledges and discussions, they've been carbon neutral since 2007. And they have been living this. It's part of their organizational DNA. And that's, this is a model I think we have to look at. 
Leaders are learning to lead sustainably. Leaders need to learn how to manage sustainably as well. Uh, and finally, look at shipping, uh, the last example, where 2 to 3% of, of greenhouse gases um, come out of the shipping industry. And um, Maersk, uh, they've invested about a billion for U.S. in ships that will run off sustainably produced methanol, okay? And there's two aspects to this. We're going to have cleaner ships on the ocean. Unbelievable, fantastic. But they're also finding a sufficient supply of carbon neutral methanol for the ships. So it's really in the supply chain is much more effective. The, the ship on the ocean is much more effective, the impact on the ocean. So what I would call the ripple effect of, of, of a change leader in sustainability at Mayersk is fantastic. And, and, the, and what's important to me about these three companies as examples is their leaders will be successful and they're judged as successful or not about how well they sustainably lead. And for the folks who are listening to this and, you know, maybe they haven't sort of started on maybe tackling sustainability goals yet, or maybe they're still in that sort of uh, brand management phase where they're like, well, mm -hmm. okay, first, let's just talk about what the mission is that we want. We, and it's going to take us years to get to the output. I, in your mind, what's, what's the thing that the folks who, who haven't made this journey yet, what can they learn from those examples to make sure that they're making that commitment every day? There's a push-pull here. Get involved in the sustainable uh, opportunities in the company in which you are. One of the other things we found is the next generation, these C-suite reports, about 40% of them are already working on sustainability projects for their companies. Whereas the C-suite leaders, their bosses, a little less than a third have worked on anything that's sustainable. So there you go. There's a generational gap. So, so first of all, get involved, hold your team accountable, say you will be held accountable and who else will you develop with you along the way? Not only do we have to change the business operations, we want to be embedding sustainability into the frameworks of how leaders are selected, promoted, rewarded, developed. So put your hand up, pull people on the team, push the company to be more involved, and then with your own team or ask to be held accountable for how sustainably successful you are. Do you think it would surprise maybe very, very top level execs uh, or even uh, top leaders, CEO level, that there are folks that are already working on sustainable solutions that maybe they're not sort of fully aware of? They're not totally read in to all those things. Do you think it would surprise them that there is some action already happening that's good that's going on in this direction? So we know there are pockets, these pockets of entrepreneurial sustainability. We also know that people will leave their jobs if they don't believe their company is making progress. So you need to help them make the progress. Let the leaders learn to lead. I think that's really, really interesting because I think uh, one of the mental barriers with these huge changes is people think, oh my God, I have to rejigger and redesign my whole company. And sure, many systems will need to be re redesigned, but we don't need to throw everything out. Uh, in many cases, as we've said, that you know there are folks already passionate about this that you can tap into. There are resources that you can start with. You're not starting with nothing. Do you feel like that point has gotten lost, uh, that people can tap into this resource, which is their people, <laughs> um, that maybe they didn't realize that they, that they could? I think you could be paralyzed by shareholder uh, activities by your own board saying, what are you doing? What's going on? And your employees saying in a survey, why are we not making progress further? So you could be paralyzed by saying, 
where do I start? I got to go for the big splash. No, you do not. You must go for engaging the stakeholder groups and changing the leadership dynamic in various ways. As they say, don't go for home runs, go for singles and doubles around getting the board's backing, which means capital, getting the employees involved, which means employee engagement, and then going out to the shareholders, if you're a public company or even a private equity backed and saying, here's what we want to do with your capital. Will you support us? So I think you have to take it in small bites. Don't look for the home run. It's a really hard uh, way to recalibrate, to look for the long term, especially when companies maybe aren't set up for that. A CEO who's here today might not be the CEO in the 30 years that it will take to sort That's of right. tackle some of these big goals. You know, so so in your mind, what's a way to sort of dig that into the the DNA, get some of this stuff into the DNA of a company to ensure that some of these things are taken on by the next generation of leadership? I think get the engagement of the leadership ranks first. Secondly, decide what your business can do in the medium term. And as you engage those teams, ask them what they think can be done in the long term. And then you better look competitively to see what else is going on in your industry uh, to make sure those choices you've just made do give you the competitive differentiation. And there, there are fantastic examples. I mean, Ben Carnes at MasterCard focused on the digital economy for those in those parts of the world who don't have access. And, and you need a digital identity today to make progress in any part of the world. And MasterCard's helped 500 million people join the digital economy. Ilham Kandre at Solve, the chemicals company, specialty chemicals, they got a 26% reduction in greenhouse gases largely by asking innovative questions of the engineers and scientists within the company. There are so many others, you know, I'm just saying engage, experiment, innovate, push, listen. Engage, experiment, innovate, push, listen. You know, you've got to keep going and keep going. And boy, the, the untapped energy that rises up inside these companies is just energizing. We, we listen as well as we can. Are there certain programs? Are there certain types of meetings that they should be having? Um, is it something where they can look at their calendar and say, hey, if I don't have maybe different teams on my calendar, a certain share of it, that maybe I'm not um, maybe engaging as much as I think I am. Uh, in your mind, what should what's a, a gut check that someone can have to make sure that they are doing the engaging and the listening and the block and tackle work that really puts this forward? Some of the fastest successes so far have been embedding the rewards, incentives, and remuneration goals of the leadership team into the annual review process, number one. So, so as there's an old-fashioned phrase, don't try and herd the cats, move the cat food. And so you say, listen, we're going to put your reward system and measurement system, part of them will be about sustainability. Novozymes, the bioscience company, the CEO has tied the compensation of his top executive team to a set of sustainability goals, number one. Number two, that you're going to give development opportunities around sustainability, best practices, best case studies, et cetera. So, so they're learning what others are doing and how to do it. And third, I think you've got to take, because it's not just having a CSO, it's embedding all of this holistically into a company's DNA. And I think you've got to take the time with the senior, the, the level one below the, the CEO direct reports into the offsites and in the innovation rooms to say, how can we change our business? What are you going to do to change the business? And, and have that brainstorm and don't be afraid 
of it attacking some of the core operating principles of the company. We've talked a little bit about um, these next generation leaders. They're they're ready, they're willing, they're passionate, they're in the companies. In some cases, they're already pitching and working on some of these ideas, right? Uh, there's still plenty of work for them to be doing, but they still need help and they, they, they still need to be developed further. In your mind, um, how ready are they and what do we need to get them the help that they need? So the Divide and Dividends research says they want more faster, sooner, from the chief executives and the senior most executives of, of the companies that re-researched. So they're there, they're ready. As we say, there's the, the first characteristic of a sustainable leader is a sustainable mindset. Whether they, whether they were born with it, or as we say, they've become awoken, they, they realize this is critical. Uh, and I can, I can speak from personal experience to that. So if they've got the mindset, you can tap into that. They're ready to go. And it's not just our research. You can see around the world uh, how, how much this has grown in importance. We wouldn't be having this discussion at the World Economic Forum if it was not at the absolute sharp point of firm strategy and operations. So I don't think you need to ask the question anymore. Are they ready? Or are they excited? Or they want it? It's there. So, so tap the energy for change leaders. In your mind, you know, what could hold progress back? What, what is the thing that, uh, you know, we, we hate for it to happen, but, but say it does. What's the thing that could dull all this shine? The belief that you can't do good and do well at the same time. The fact that you're concerned and it's ongoing that, that I will develop more sustainable operations over time and it will impair my profits, not improve my profits. So, so look at Hilton Hotels. Uh, Chris Nassetta, 10 or 11 years ago, said, we're going we're gonna to monitor energy use. We're going to monitor water use. You know, you'd walk in your hotel room and it was dark and the lights were going automatically. And, and, and we're going to commit to, uh, I think, a couple of, about a billion dollars in uh, franchise required improvements in the hotel operations. And the franchisee said, we don't need to do this. They're going to recycle, you know, materials and soap and water and all this. And they said, no, we're going to do this. And then they, years later... It's not about the return on investment, which has turned out to be massive, because the brand enhancement amongst people who want to go stay there, because they are walking the walk. People are going to buy Carlsberg beer. People are going to go to MasterCard. So I think what will hold it back is, is the fear of profit hit in the short term. And I think institutional investors are going to go the other way, and some of them already have that if you're not doing it, your stock's going to trade at a discount because your competitors are building longer-term sustainable improvement in operations. And we've spoken to State Street and Vanguard and uh, BlackRock about how they look at making decisions on the stocks they own or how they're going to vote in proxies. And, I mean, they're putting their mouth where their money is right now. So it's not about what's going to hold you. What will hold you back is yourself, and you're going to get left behind. <laughs> it's always ourselves that holds ourselves back. That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Gonna, um, if you don't want, if you want to listen to your leadership team who says they're ready, you want to listen to your institutional investor who says we're going to value it more highly over time. If you're going to listen to your board of directors who says we need to hear your sustainable strategy, which is what we're hearing, we're doing CEO successions right now, right now, particularly around consumer brands. That the board is saying, when you judge the candidates to become the chief executive, we want you to include sustainable competencies into your assessments, Russell Reynolds Associates. Yeah. The market has voted. 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really interesting thing. And sometimes what people forget about when they talk about sustainability, uh, there's still this sort of carryover that some people, not all people, but some people think of sustainability as sort of this wooey thing that it's a nice to have. And they don't think about sustainability as a, a road to solvency. And I think that's, um, I think it's an, it's an important thing because if the business isn't sustainable, if the business isn't solvent, what was all of this trouble for, right? Um, and so when do we think, you think we'll see maybe more of this change where more people will realize, hey, yes, it's, it's not only just for um uh, for our brand, but there's also this sort of solvency piece that we need to deal with to tackle this sustainability thing. What do you think we'll see that 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 sort of shift to? Hey, I need to do this for our survival. So first of all, sustainability is not an add-on or a nice to have. It is part of the business strategy. I spoke to Lynn Good, the CEO of Duke Energy, just last week, and asked that almost the same question. She said sustainability is part of our business strategy. It's not some nice to have. So sustainability is core to the strategy. In one year, in one year since the bushfires in Australia, the rainforest and the issues in Brazil, the stakeholder versus shareholder, in one year, the difference in our clients asking us to judge executives or develop them around sustainable competencies, along with agility, decisiveness, you know, followership, uh, strategic thinking. This is now a core element of what the board says Russell Reynolds Associates has to judge executives. That's any, it's a, maybe it's 15 months. My point is it's not five years, it's, it's that much. And four years ago, only 4% of the role descriptions that we were searching for mentioned sustainability as, as, as core competency. We're now just under 40% require us to look at sustainable competencies. That's, that's a dramatic change in four years. When you look at that dramatic change, I mean, what, is, what does that sort of say to you? I mean, are you surprised? Uh, and, and do you think that it's, it's happening uh, at the right pace? Or do you, do you feel like it could be happening even more quickly? Well, you know, how high is the sky? You know, how do you push a, a piece of string? I, I don't know that I can answer that. I, I, all I can say is investors are voting and boards are listening and, and employees are acting. So <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of there's a lot of movement here. So say everything goes right. Um, people listen to our podcast and their lives are changed as, as they often are when they listen to my podcast. And, there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> as they often are. And they have this sort of roadmap and they um, they put it into practice to take it to heart. And maybe uh, 15, 20 years from now, uh, maybe there is this sort of pipeline that's been developed, these projects that are in place, and um, these things are cooking. Um, so can you tell me, can you describe this world? What does this world look like where these sustainable leaders have not been held back and they're able to do their good work? Every leader will have credentials around the sustainability agenda, and they, they will be built into the competencies they need to lead. And they're built into the measurement of their success and their rewards. I think that the most successful companies will have a remit to deliver against people, planet, and profit. I think consumers and investors will demand it. I also think that they will have had more experiences, this 40% that have worked on sustainable initiatives that we mentioned in, in the next gen they're, they're going to be the leaders of those companies and will have had much more experience than you or I have had. So to me, it's sustainability is embedded in the strategy. It's embedded in the talent, discussions, assessment, promotion, pay of people. 
uh, and companies won't be afraid to talk about people, planet, profit. They'll have to. There was a really sort of a daunting report that came out last month with the uh, the IPCC talking, confirming a lot of people's worst fears about maybe uh, global warming and sort of what we were going to be needing to do urgently in order to mitigate some of its worst impacts. Plenty to be a little bit uh, uh, sad about. However, uh, as uh, you are doing this research, there's also things to be optimistic about. Um, in your mind, uh, what makes you optimistic? What makes you feel hopeful? Well, what makes me feel hopeful is you and I are having this discussion at the World Economic Forum. And I remember in, I think it was, I can't remember if it was 18 or 19, where the first session was around these topics at this. And you couldn't have imagined this 10 years ago, number one. It's in the boardroom. It's in the institutional investor. That's good. The, the employees are excited and will work for companies that want to make a change. The bad news is it's so evident from weather and the earth talking to us. That's the bad news. The good news is it's created this urgency of the last, say, 24 months, particularly the last 12, that you're watching the results of it in terms of investors and employees. So the bad news is we're facing these issues. The good news is that is finally pushing us to more action. We call it the decade of action with UNGC. Action's happening. It's not just talking. You've been uh, looking into sustainability leadership for, for some time uh, before this study. How has this idea and also this research, but um, how has this changed how you lead? Uh, in your mind, what's changed for you as a leader? Yeah, I, I, um, I have to admit I was the slower moving, slower acting. I did great email, but I didn't do enough good action. And I took some heat for it. Uh, whether this around moving faster on DEI, whether moving faster on real estate for our own company, we're in 46 cities around the world, uh, a big footprint, looking at um, how we're looking at our environmental sustainability, but also the SDGs, which work across uh, so many things. It's not just about the climate, uh, which we tend to focus on. So we've stepped up what we're doing operationally as a firm. And we've stepped up and out. People thought we'd lost our minds four years ago when we took this on about how we would advise our clients and boards uh, and the passion. We have put into every single job description the sustainable competencies. And then we go to them and say, would you like us to judge your candidates on sustainability? Our hope being, how the hell can you say no? Though some do. So we've stuck our necks out. And I've got to say, I was too cautious for too long and did too good an email, and now we're we're moving, which is a which is a push from my own college age children, as well as looking at our client base, as well as looking at, at what the world needs. Um, somebody who's listening to this, and that probably will resound with a lot of people listening to to this podcast. Um, what's your advice to them? Like, what's the gut check? If you could kind of sit next to them and and kind of lean over their keyboard and say, "Hey." do this today? What's an actionable thing, uh, a small everyday work change that they can make that um, will sort of push them in the right direction? I think you'd have to go, depending on what industry you're in, uh, if you're an industrial consumer business, pick up the phone to your head of supply chain tomorrow morning and say, not the email, not a text, pick up the phone and say, what have we done the last year that has made the supply chain more sustainable? If you're in a professional services organization, pick up the phone to the 28 to 35 year olds and say, 
What are you proudest of this company's done around sustainability? And if they don't have an answer, you got a problem. And then you say, I'm calling you back in six months and I'm going to tell you what I'm proudest of that we've done. I, I like that idea about the, the phone call. And there's an immediacy there that um, helps people uh, solve problems that I think uh, is, is, is easy to, to lose sight, sight of. And it's also sort of an important thing where we're not going to have this level of collaboration, of cross-sector, even cross-team collaboration without immediacy, without conversation. Um, how important do you think that is, that that piece where people just have sort of lost that sense of immediacy? I need to tackle it head on. I need to, I need to get get in front of someone? Well, this is, I think, the greatest, arguably the greatest concern businesses have today is around people and talent because of the uh, remote working and hybrid working situations. So culture is probably one of the biggest concerns that leaders have. And so this, whether it's a phone call or, or getting together in person, whether you can or you can't, this is the biggest issue about what's a company, if it's just a job, what's the culture? So, uh, and, and sustainability, ESG, collaboration, so many of these overlap in, in the challenges facing leaders today. And this is, this is a way to pull people together, to create belief, to create glue, to create purpose, forward-looking, so it's not just a paycheck. Uh, it's one of many, but I, I think finding levers of collaboration for companies to continue to be the best in class is going to be so critical and so hard for some time to come. For sure, for sure. And the culture piece was a big part of the the survey that you yes. guys had put together. Yeah. How can they sort of have a better sense of whether their culture ladders up to the type of collaboration we need to make big change for the climate? So other people's research is showing how uneasy C-suite executives are about where they work and, and job security and stress and frustration. I, I have to believe, and this is, this is Clark Murphy, uh, intuitive, not someone else's data survey. Mission-driven collaboration is the most rewarding there is. It's more rewarding than profit-driven collaboration, I believe, in today's world and today's majority of workforce. So to wrap around what we're doing as a company, a culture, a country, uh, an industry, I think these are the kind of mission-driven elements that create glue and pride. As, as we say at Russell Reynolds Associates, you can't buy someone else's pride and no one wants to sell their own. Pride is one of the great assets that, that anyone can have. You're proud of what you do and with whom you work. You go, you go climb Mount Everest and run through a wall. Is there a habit that you as a leader depend on the most? Something that, you know, gosh, like if you didn't do this one thing, uh, everything would be lost. I mean, I think one is deeply personal. The other from a business perspective, um, people, I drive people crazy ask, asking questions. And we have this great platform because of so many industries we work with to have discussions like this. So asking, learning, probing so that we're better at what we do. And from a personal standpoint, I think much better when I exercise. So for me to go for a long ride or a long run, A, calms me down, but helps me process what, what I'm worried about or what I'm challenged about. And I think that to me is, is the most powerful time I have to, to have clear thinking. 
that question piece is, is a really uh, sort of a simple way that people can keep pushing. How do we do this? What do we need? What's next? How do you guide yourself to, to ask the next question? In your mind, what makes a great question? Well, to state the obvious, it's what you don't understand. You know, the yeah. lost art of asking questions is I'm afraid to look dumb. I'm happy to look dumb if I can learn something. You find that if, 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 you're, if you actually show that you're sincerely interested and you're asking board members or CEOs about their businesses and what's going well or not well, they, they open up and, and want to share uh, their issues. A good friend of mine, Mark Eichhorn, said, if you put all your problems in the middle of the table, you tend to take your own back. Um, and so therefore you learn a lot by sharing your problems, not just your successes. Yeah. Is there a, um, a book that you recommend that you think, gosh, like everybody should put whatever they have on their, on their nightstand down and, and pick this one up? What, what's, what's something that everyone should be reading? Well, you know, like anyone, that answer probably changes every three or four months. The, the, the one I found best is, um, let me remember the name, it's a guy named Josh Friedman. It's uh, uh, Inside Change. People don't like change, okay? And, and change will never be this slow again, right? Isn't that the new phrase? So uh, Josh's approach is, is highly practical, get things done and how to get things done practically, but it's actually based uh, on, on a bunch of neuroscience research as well as taking how the brain works and here are the practical ways to appeal to a human to want to make change. And then a group of humans together based on the neuroscience can do this. Uh, so it's very practical and I like practical. Uh, because you get more progress with the practical than just the theoretical. So Inside Change by Josh Friedman. Sure. And if uh, somebody read this book, uh, how do you think that they would be uh, different the next day? What would they be able to sort of put into practice? I think they'd have more confidence that pragmatic approaches backed up by science will give them, give them more confidence to go take the first step and the second step and the third step, as opposed to, oh my gosh, I've got to run a marathon. How long should I train for the marathon? Don't train for the marathon. Take the first step. That was Clark Murphy. Before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, Radio Davos, helping you understand the biggest problems of our time. Find the latest episode of that and Meet the Leader at wef.ch slash podcasts. That's it for me. Thanks so much to Gareth Nolan and Robin Pomeroy for all of their help with the creation of Meet the Leader. And thanks so much to this week's guest, Clark Murphy. Don't miss a minute of our coverage of the Sustainable Development Impact Summit this week. The summit runs from September 20th to September 23rd, and you can find a daily live blog, articles, videos, live stream sessions, and more at wef.ch sdis21. You can also follow along on Twitter using the hashtag sdis21. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.